Good morning, proclamation. It is good to be with you all. Uh, I have visited with you uh, once before to preach, and uh, it's good to be back with you all. Um, I think there are many here that I have not met and weren't here last summer, either from being out or new growth, I'm not sure, but um, it's lovely to be with you all this morning. Uh, As has been mentioned, my name is Chris, and I work with Reformed University Fellowship at Millersville University, so just about half an hour down the road from here. Uh, If you aren't familiar with the ministry of RUF, it is the denominational ministry to college students uh, for the Presbyterian Church in America, which uh, Proclamation is a part of, and uh, I have the privilege of being sent by the churches in this presbytery to minister to college students. And uh, that mission uh, of reaching students for Christ and equipping students to serve in the church is near and dear to my own heart. Uh, I grew up in a Presbyterian church uh, and was uh, a believer from a very young age. Uh, But college was an incredibly influential time in my own growth uh, in faith and my own call to ministry. Uh, It was uh, incredibly influential in my wife Kelsey's Life. She became a Christian uh, during her time in college uh, through the ministry of RUF. And uh, we met through ministering with RUF. We both worked for RUF after college and, and met, and now we uh, are doing ministry uh, together as husband and wife. And we have our uh, first child who was born uh, this past January. Her name is Eliana. And we're so excited to be here in Pennsylvania and doing ministry. And we're really thankful for proclamation and uh, your support as a church uh, financially and through your prayers. Uh, and one of the privileges of, of what I do uh, working with college students is that I don't have a regular pulpit that I fill on Sundays. And so I often get to go around and minister to different congregations. And uh, it's really a, a lovely part of my job. And uh, I'm thankful to be with you all and excited to, to get to know you all and open up God's word with you this morning. We are uh, looking at 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11, as uh, we've just read. And uh, since I'm here just uh, preaching a one-off sermon, uh, we're kind of parachuting into this text. It's uh, not maybe the, the text you would expect um, it's not a super common book, First uh, Peter, to, to get a lot of uh, look, looks at in, in sermon series. Um, but it, I think it's really uh, a book that speaks to uh, our own time and our own uh, position in the history of salvation. And uh, we'll, we'll get more into it as, as we go along. But just for some context, First uh, Peter was, was written by the Apostle Peter to Christians who were uh, experiencing persecution, who were undergoing suffering for their faith. Uh, He was writing to churches that were in uh, the region of Asia Minor, what's now modern-day Turkey. And these uh, believers were living within a Roman world that was very hostile to the gospel. Uh, And as a result of uh, that hostility, they were experiencing a pull uh, to abandon their faith to uh, abandon their faith in favor of what the culture around them embraced. And uh, Peter is writing to them, uh, in light of that circumstance, to, to stay faithful to Jesus, uh, 
to stay faithful to the gospel. And as we look at chapter 4 and specifically verses 7 through 11, these verses are being written in light of that context of persecution and suffering and experiencing a pull away from the faith. And as, as we think about that, uh, we, we want to reflect on the reality that uh, God is, is with us and he's given us means to navigate uh, the suffering and the persecution and the pull away from faith that we experience. Uh, so this morning, as we look at this text, uh, we're going we're gonna to think more about those. But first, let's um, open in prayer and uh, go into God's word. Thank you, Father, for this passage. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, these people to hear this morning a proclamation. Pray that you would work through your spirit uh, by your word to encourage us and build us up in faith. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Some of you may be thinking of a certain phone app, uh, with, which is known for its viral dance videos, amongst other things. Uh, but for, for those of us who uh, have lived beyond just the digital age, uh, TikTok, uh, I think, harkens us back to the, the steady beat of an analog clock, uh, that sound, tick-tock, tick-tock. Even, even growing up... Um, in a largely digital age with smartphones and smart uh, watches and the like, that sound uh, still has some power uh, over me and I think probably over you as well uh, to, to ground all of us in the moving of time. Right? That sound, whether uh, it produces a sense of anxiety or a sense of calm or something in between, uh, that sound uh, reminds us that time is passing. This morning, as we're looking at verses 7 through 11 of 1 Peter 4, Peter uh, is doing something that, that grounds us. He's giving us tools that ground us in a reality uh, that is uh, greater even than time. Now, Peter is talking about uh, where time is heading to the end of all things. He's not just telling us that there is an end of all things, that time is running out, but he tells us what the end of all things is. And in the midst of that reality of where we're headed, he grounds us in the truth of the gospel. As we look at these verses, the main thing that I hope uh, we take away this morning is this. In a world of distraction, prayer and love ground us in the gospel. Uh, the in, the, in a world of distraction, prayer and love ground us in, in the gospel, and really the, the glory of the gospel. So, uh, we, we spent some time uh, talking about First Peter uh, more broadly. Specifically, in, in chapter 4, Peter uh, addresses the issue of being pulled away towards uh, various distractions. And... Um, if you uh, were to read up in uh, 1 Peter 4, which we don't have time to do, uh, we'll see that you'll see that uh, Peter is speaking to those who 
live within a world um, where they're being pulled towards other things. Uh, and Peter calls uh, these believers in the midst of that to uh, hold fast to the truth of the gospel, to be um, light in the midst of darkness. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9 specifically says that they are to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own position, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, these believers that were living in a time of uh, difficulty, uh, like us today, are called to be holy, are called to be set apart. And uh, that means giving up uh, many of the comforts of the world around us. Chapter 4 talks about um, putting off sensual comforts of the flesh. Uh, and, and in light of that, also embracing the, the reality of suffering and the potential uh, for death or, or persecution uh, in, in the face of giving up those ways of the world. And uh, Peter's speaking these verses in light of uh, a dual reality. A dual reality that salvation has already uh, taken place. That all that is necessary for salvation has taken place in the work of Jesus on the cross. When he opens up these verses uh, in verse 7, he says that the end of all things is at hand. And I think uh, we can see those words and, and immediately think sort of like uh, end times, uh, maybe you're familiar with different uh, forms of literature or, or movies that, that have uh, depicted a, a very uh, chaotic and um, uh, sort of the world's falling apart uh, association with the end of all things. Uh, and certainly there is some level of uh, chaos in the world around us. Uh, but when Peter's talking about the end of all things, he's really referring to the time in the history of salvation that we exist in. That Jesus has gone to the cross, that he has defeated sin and death, uh, that he has risen, that he has ascended to the hand, right hand of the Father. And so Peter is, is speaking to these believers who are experiencing uh, the, the distraction and the difficulty of this world around them, but he is reminding them that Jesus has already done what is necessary for them to be delivered out of these circumstances. Uh, and, and the evil of their own heart. And in the midst of that, uh, that reality of Christ's finished work, but the ongoing uh, suffering and temptation that we experience, uh, Peter is seeking to orient us back to the gospel. And uh, he does this uh, primarily uh, in this passage through appealing to prayer and love as means of orienting us to the gospel. He starts off uh, in verse 7 by calling us to being self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. As we pray, uh, we cast our cares before God um, with, uh, with a desire that, that is aligned to his will, what he has revealed in his word, um, and, and we are putting ourselves uh, under the, the gracious and sovereign hand of God. But as we uh, live in this world of, of distraction, 
and uh, difficulty, we are often uh, lose. We often lose focus. We often lose perspective, uh, and and so we often uh, forget to pray. We often uh, are not dependent on God in prayer, but we are uh, dependent on our own resources and means. And so when Peter uh, appeals to self-control and and sober-mindedness for the sake of our prayers, what he's doing is he is reminding us that we we have distractions that that cloud our, our vision and pull us away from the reality of what is true. Uh, an example of this that I've seen in my own life recently was uh, my daughter, Eliana, was baptized uh, recently. And we had a bunch of family coming into town uh, for her baptism. And amongst them was my four-year-old nephew. And uh, my four-year-old nephew, like many four-year-olds, uh, was in a constant pursuit of sweets. He was trying to get his hands on anything sweet that he could. Uh, and, and at one point in the course of the weekend, he uh, requested a piece of cake that had a giant pink uh, uh, frosting flower on it. Uh, and he proceeded to eat the pink frosting flower off of the cake and dispose of the rest of the cake. He uh, was in a pursuit of things which he found desirable, which he found good. Uh, but those of us who are not four years old know that that is not a sustainable way of life. Uh, He cannot live off of pink frosting flowers. We often forget uh, and and believe the lies of the world that we can be sustained by something other than dependence upon our sovereign and good God. And this uh, verse where Peter is calling us to self-control and sober-mindedness for the sake of our prayers is is calling us back to what is true, back to the reality that God is on his throne, that we need to be focused uh, and and not clouded with the distractions of the world, uh, with the lies that we're told, but instead to believe that God is sovereign, that he is on his throne, and that he hears us and and knows what we're going through and can not only uh, hear us, but can do something about it that he can sustain us in the midst of that. I say that, and and many of us, uh, you might be thinking, uh, self-control and sober-mindedness for the sake of your prayers and and immediately go into uh, a sense of of great guilt or shame uh, because you are distracted and you are uh, caught up in the things of the world, and, and in the process, lose uh, your prayer life. And, and I say that as uh, someone who often experiences that reality as well. Peter is not writing these words uh, merely to leave us in a sense of shame or guilt. He is writing these words to remind us that prayer is effective, to remind us that if we focus our minds and our hearts on the gospel, we will pray And we will have our God meet us in the midst of what we are experiencing in life. Prayer is a means that God uses in our lives to make us more dependent upon him. To reorient us towards what is true and where life is found in this world that is so often disorienting and so often confusing and hard. And so we 
We reorient our, our lives back to prayer uh, and we focus on the gospel and what Christ has done for us, not on our own works, not on our own abilities, uh, not on our own desires even, but upon what God has said and what he has said is good. Peter uses prayer here uh, to reorient us to the gospel uh, in the midst of these distractions that we experience. Uh, but the majority of what Peter spends his time on in, in these verses this morning is on love. Uh, Peter tells us that we are to, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We live in a world that loves to appeal to love. You may have heard uh, the phrase, love is love is love, um, appealed to in this culture. And uh, that is something uh, that we need to uh, be challenged by uh, as we think about uh, the love that is uh, called to in this passage. The, the love that our culture appeals to uh, is not the kind of love, generally speaking, uh, is not the kind of love that is being appealed to here. Uh, we live in a world that is very focused on our own desires and our own uh, love that, that, is, that is focused on self. The, the love that Peter appeals to here that is to be above all uh, is self-sacrificial love. We read earlier in the service uh, from John 15, uh, and specifically, uh, I want to redirect us back to verse 13 from John 15, uh, which says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. It was in love that Jesus laid down his life for us. It was in going to the cross and laying down his life that our sins were covered over once and for all. We all stand guilty before God in and of ourselves. We are, as Romans um, 3.23 puts it, uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are in need of saving. And so Peter, um, Peter in this uh, verse redirects us back to love uh, as love uh, covers a multitude of sins. Uh, not because our love, our self-sacrificial love, ultimately covers over the sins uh, that we commit against one another um, or committed against us, but because our self-sacrificial love reorients us back to the self-sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, which is what covers over our sins. And as we lay down our lives in response to the gospel, in response to what Christ has done, we are brought back to the truth of what Christ has done. And it's in his work that we then can overlook other sins. Not uh, averting our gaze, not, not uh, forgetting what others have done against us, but actually having real hope to address it. Our world, I've talked a lot about how the world distracts us. 
I think what the world is trying to distract us from is not evil in general, but the evil that resides in our own hearts. The world does not want us to admit, to confess what Romans 3.23 says, that we fall short of the glory of God. But when we embrace the truth of Christ's self-sacrificial love for us, we can embrace forgiveness and love and self-sacrificial love for others. Peter doesn't leave us merely with general advice, though. He doesn't simply say, be self-sacrificial in your love. He gives us ways in which we can embody that love. And the first way that he, he uh, tells us to embody that love, I think is a little bit surprising. Uh, reading it through, uh, for me, um, I, was, I was a little bit surprised. Um, but I think it's really good. He calls uh, for hospitality. Specifically, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Let that sink in. We are to self-sacrificially love one another through hospitality that is not done in grumbling, but is done in joy. I think uh, Peter appeals to hospitality uh, as a specific way to embody uh, the self-sacrificial love of the gospel because of the world we live in, because of that tension that I was describing earlier, uh, where there are these pulls away from the gospel, uh, this pull towards sin. And in the midst of a world where there are all kinds of uh, things calling on you, uh, different uh, forms of, of sin, uh, different uh, lifestyles, different uh, places where you can find your identity and hope. Uh, they are, in many ways, inviting you in. They are opening their doors. They're on their front porch calling out to you, come in and join us. Find life in this place. And Peter says, what you're to do is to bring people into your lives. It's to call out and, and bring others into your homes with joy in your heart. Serving on the college campus, I, I think I see this uh, demonstrated year in and year out. Every year, uh, in a, as a matter of fact, in just uh, five weeks, students are going to come to Millersville, and they're going to be 18-year-olds who are away from their physical homes, oftentimes for the first time in their lives, and they are going to be uh, experiencing uh, anxiety, sadness, uh, loneliness, and there are going to be all kinds of groups, individuals, uh, ideas, ways of life that will call out to them and invite them in. And uh, they will find a home somewhere on campus in all likelihood. Uh, and, and the question is, will that place be uh, a home that preaches the gospel? that reveals to them their true need for salvation, that it's only in Jesus that they can find life. Friends, uh, 
You aren't on a college campus, but there are people all around you who are looking for home, who are looking for source of life. In the midst of this world, we're called to be people who invite others in with joy in our hearts, knowing the ways that we have been invited in uh, by Jesus first and foremost. Jesus has come uh, to this world in order to make a way for us. He's gone to the right hand of the Father to prepare an eternal home for us. This life is not our eternal home, uh, and there are lots of challenges uh, in this life. In particular, there are challenges with hospitality. Uh, There is cost, sometimes physical cost, as you pay for food, for, for people to be in your home, there is uh, relational cost as, as you spend time with people who sometimes are difficult. There is uh, time cost as you sacrifice of, of what you find uh, good and, and pleasing in order to spend time with others and to get to know their desires. In the midst of that, we are in need of reorientation back to the gospel. Hospitality does not happen without uh, our own knowledge and experience of the ways in which God has welcomed us in and has shown us hospitality. There are, um, just just to give you encouragement, hospitality uh, does not necessarily mean uh, you have to open up your home specifically. You may not be in a circumstance to, put, to do that. Um, or it may not be the most effective way uh, to be hospitable uh, to others around you who are in need of hospitality. It could be inviting someone out to lunch and picking up the check. It could be uh, sitting down with someone for a half an hour and actually asking them what is going on in their life. Actually listening to the struggles that they are experiencing and giving them comfort and encouragement, specifically comfort and encouragement in the gospel. It could be inviting them to a a small group Bible study where they can actually get to know others in a smaller setting. Uh, There are a variety of ways in which we can embody uh, the gospel through hospitality. All of them involve going back to the gospel ourselves, uh, being encouraged in the reality that Christ has made a way for us, made a home for us. Uh, Peter um, moves from hospitality to address, uh, I think, self-sacrificial love in more uh, broad categories. He uses um, the categories of speech and service, uh, and he um, calls us to speak and serve as those who have been given gifts, Uh, in speech and service. And some of you may hear that and and be tempted to think of speech and service as categories that we are sort of boxed into, um, that I have the gift of of speech. You know, I'm a pastor. Uh, I have the gift of speech, therefore I don't have the gift of service. Uh, Peter's not drawing some sort of sharp distinction between these two things. You may be more gifted in in speech or more gifted in service, but these are broad categories that Peter is applying to life, ways in which we can 
self-sacrificially love the people around us through our words and through our actions. And as we love others in our words and in our actions, Peter calls us to dependence upon God. He says that uh, whoever speaks is to speak as one who speaks oracles of God. I think Peter is calling us to speak as those who are dependent upon the word of God. And when he calls us to serve uh, as those who serve by the strength that God supplies, he's calling us to, to live out our actions towards one another in dependence upon him. We don't serve and love others in our, our speech and service in ways that are dependent upon ourselves. Uh, that uh, is embodied in uh, the way that Peter uses the language of, of stewarding the gifts that God has given us. Stewards are not a, a common position in our own world day like they were in Peter's uh, day in, in the Roman world. And so uh, you may or may not be as familiar with the idea of what it means to steward. Uh, one of the uh, ways that I was first introduced to what a steward was was through uh, the story, The Lord of the Rings. Um, at this point, uh, the Lord of the Rings books are, are very old, um, and uh, the movies that I first introduced was first introduced to the story of The Lord of the Rings uh, is 20 years old now, which makes me feel older than it should. But um, if you're not familiar with the story of The Lord of the Rings, uh, it's basically a, a story of good triumphing over evil uh, in, a, in a fantasy setting written by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, and one of the key aspects of the story is uh, the idea of, of a king uh, returning to his kingdom. Uh, the last book is actually called Return of the King. And this king, uh, his name in the story is Aragorn, uh, his uh, ancestors have not been back uh, and, and ruling in his kingdom for some time. And there have been in his place a steward. The steward is there uh, to reign in place of the king, not out of his own authority as if he were king, but to rule as one who is uh, dependent upon that authority and anticipating the return of the king. Uh, but if you know the story, the steward that is in the, the Lord of the Rings, his name is Denethor, uh, does not steward very well. He stewards out of his own authority, out of his own desires. Uh, and the result of it is that he is manipulated by uh, the enemy, Sauron, uh, to doing Sauron's will rather than the will of the king. And, and the end of it uh, is destructive for Denethor. It's destructive for the kingdom. Uh, and thankfully in the story, uh, the, the true king, Aragorn, returns and, and makes all things right. In our own lives... We are often tempted, I think, to steward as those who act like our gifts are our own. Our time is our own. Our resources are our own. To use them for our desires, not to use them to, to speak and serve in dependence upon God. When we love and and serve others, when we speak and serve uh, in dependence upon God, 
we are brought back to the gospel. We're brought back to the truth that God is king, that he reigns, that Jesus Christ uh, reigns at his right hand. That is um, really what Peter ultimately is driving at in this passage. You see this in verse uh, 11, that everything that we do, whether it's prayer or love, is done in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Our call to, to love others, our call to pray, is in order that the King would be glorified. And we have a, a part in that. We're given a role that when we love and, and serve speak that we can exalt Jesus Christ as we show the, his love worked out in us. Not, not dependence upon ourselves, our own resources, but dependence on him. The good news is what Peter closes with, that it's to, to him, to Jesus, I belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The end is sure. Peter speaks in in guaranteed terms here. Glory already belongs to Jesus. That's where we're headed. That's the end of all things. Jesus reigning on his throne in glory. We have a part to play though. As we wait, as as his work is is played out in this world, we are given uh, roles as stewards. This world can be confusing and hard. There are lots of things that that pull at us, pull us away from the gospel. God gives us prayer and love in order to to bring us back to the truth that Jesus is king, that Jesus has dominion, and that he is a good and gracious king who forgives our sins, who welcomes us into his home. We now as those who are living in this world, are reminded and are grounded through prayer and love of the glory of Jesus. This world is is passing away as, as surely as the clock is ticking down the hours of the day. We are in a world where Jesus will reign in glory forever. In the midst of the tension that you experience day in and day out, return to prayer and to love as a means that God has given you to remind yourself of that truth and to serve him, your king. Let's pray.